0: Good afternoon. I'm Cindy Condon, one of the many past presidents of Salem City Club. Thank you for joining us for the program today, a deep dive into the Willamette River. It's hard to believe that we're almost to the end of our 54th year of presenting programs that keep our community informed. After today's program, we have two more we know you'll find interesting. On April 30th, Oregon Secretary of State Shamaya Fagan will discuss several issues keeping her office busy. And on May 14th, we will close the season with a panel of journalists who will give us an overview of what happened in this year's crazy legislative session. We hope you will sign up to join us. Visit SalemCityClub.com for more information and to register. Thank you to our members and friends who continue to support Salem City Club through membership and generous donations. The board and the program committee are very grateful for the ongoing help to make these programs possible. Thank you so much. In addition, City Club would not be able to present programs without the generous support of our supporting business sponsors. KMUZ Community Radio, Lugene Fobert Graphic Design, Pioneer Trust Bank, Rich Duncan Construction and Virgil T. Golden Funeral Home. Thank you all for your support. And now to get started with today's program, Ed Millis, Willamette kayaker, will introduce our program and speaker. Ed, take it away.
1: Thanks, Cindy. Good afternoon, Salem City Club members and guests. Welcome to our program today, which is a deep dive into the Willamette River. Salem City Club is pleased to have Travis Williams, Executive Director of Willamette River Keepers, to inform and educate us about our river. For over 20 years, Travis has led a dedicated staff and group of volunteers in the stewardship of our river. I encourage you to read the Salem City Club email on this program, which provides Travis's impressive resume. My primary contact with Willamette Riverkeepers has been as a participant on several Paddle Oregon trips. Paddle Oregon is a five-day overnight river camping journey on different sections of our river held annually before COVID-19. On those adventures, I've observed Travis's passion for the protection, preservation, and playtime on our river, protection by advocacy for the river, even legally if necessary, preservation through environmental monitoring and programs, and playtime through Paddle Oregon and other Paddle events. In fact, I think it's safe to say Travis had rather be on the river right now. So Travis, Salem City Club, appreciates your time for this presentation. It's my pleasure to introduce Travis Williams, Executive Director of Willamette River Keepers, who will now tell us about our Willamette River and how we can take care of it. Travis, welcome. Thank you
2: so much, Ed. Uh, I really appreciate uh, you and Cindy and uh, Hans uh, today uh, facilitating this and asking us to present at the uh, City Club of Salem. Uh, We really do appreciate it. Um, What I will do is run through a series of uh, slides, kind of uh, introducing folks to maybe some portions of the river that are not as well known, uh, from the headwaters down uh, to the confluence with the Columbia, talk a little bit about some of the issues that are out there and how Willamette Riverkeeper uh, addresses those, and then certainly ways that people can get involved in uh, supporting this type of work. whether it's with Willamette Riverkeeper or another uh, watershed organization. Um, But um, I will get those slides beginning right now. And uh, here we go. Okay. So Willamette Riverkeeper, uh, just for a short intro, is a uh, nonprofit organization that was founded in 1996. Uh, We work to protect and uphold the Clean Water Act first and foremost, uh, but we conduct a variety of other programs and activities, uh, really with the goal of protecting and restoring water quality and habitat. Uh, There's a lot of things that go into that. Um, We were founded, as I said, in 1996, and we're part of a broader network of Riverkeeper, Baykeeper, and Coastkeeper organizations uh, that are all independent, Uh, but we have the same philosophy and some same guiding principles uh, that support our work, whether we're in the United States, Latin America, uh, South America, Europe, uh, Asia, Canada, um, and we all come from a similar place in terms of clean water. Uh, But as you can imagine, depending on what area you are in or what country you are in, the approach might be different, the laws might be a little different. Of course, in the United States, we have the Clean Water Act uh, first and foremost, Um, But Willamette Riverkeeper has uh, grown over the last uh, 26 years now, I guess 25 years. Um, In fact, we're celebrating and we just realized this the other day after not having talked about it for a while, but this is our 25th anniversary year. Uh, Of course, being in this time, uh, everything's a little off kilter, uh, but we're going to start celebrating that here uh, in pretty short order. Uh, So again, thank you all uh, for allowing me to be here today and let's take a short trip down to Willamette. So there's the main stem just a few miles north of Eugene, beautiful, lively water. Um, We have the the fact that the Willamette is 187 miles in length, and that is technically from where the Coast Fork and the Middle Fork meet just south of Eugene and then all the way down to the Columbia River. Uh, The basin is just shy of 12,000 square miles in overall size. Uh, Major tributaries, I think most of us know these, but uh, certainly the Middle Fork, Willamette, Coast Fork, McKenzie, Saniam, both north and south, and then the main stems of uh, Mary's River, Yamhill, Malala, Tualatin, and Clackamas Rivers. Um, of course, of all these tributaries, the McKenzie is the very best. And I'm saying that kiddingly because I know that the Saniam is right there on your doorstep. I love the Saniam system. It's amazing. Um, here's a photo of Norwood Island, which is a property that uh, Willamette Riverkeeper owns. Talk a little bit more about that. So if we think of going to the very south, the very top end of the basin, uh, Waldo Lake is one of those key headwater areas. And if you haven't been there, um, take the time if you can. It's really just a gorgeous, gorgeous place. The lake uh, elevation is typically right around 5,400 feet. And uh, this is really a beautiful headwater area that's surrounded by wilderness on one side, uh, some forest service campgrounds, on a portion of the other side. Amazing sunsets, exceedingly clear water that ranks at an international level in terms of how pristine and clear this water is. And it's been that way for a long time. Um, That lake flows into the North Fork of the uh, uh, Middle Fork, North Fork of the Lambert River, which flows into the Middle Fork. And there is the Middle Fork, just a couple miles up from where it is dammed up by Lookout Point Dam but this is a beautiful stretch of river. And if you think about it, uh, to some degree, the way we name rivers is a, a, a bit artificial. The Middle Fork, if you extended it uh, down to the Willamette, it's really a continuation of the Willamette River. So it's where the Coast Fork meets the Willamette. And at that point, the Willamette is called the Middle Fork of Willamette. And then we have the Coast Fork itself, which is often uh, a river people haven't heard much about. If you're driving south from Eugene, and you look over to the right, you will cross it uh, about twice on Interstate 5. It's lively, it has um, a lot of meandering channels. This is a photo when the water is a little bit higher, it has some white water on it, um, but just a really nice river. Um, And then that river, which is in the foreground, it's kind of backed up by the Middle Fork. Then you see the, the Middle Fork in uh, kind of off to the upper left there those two rivers meet as I mentioned before and that creates the main stem of the Willamette which we have here right in Eugene and you start flowing downstream you meet the McKinsey um, and then flowing into the McKenzie, I always feel that this is worth mentioning we have some exceedingly pristine water that flows out of springs that come out of the bedrock uh, literally just gushing out of the basalt uh, in the McKenzie system Uh, We have this elsewhere in the system, but I think it's most pronounced in terms of water volume uh, flowing into the upper McKinsey. And the good thing about this is that this water is projected to be pretty persistent even in, or I should say consistent, uh, even in a time of climate change, whether we have snowpack in this area of the Cascades or we have rainfall, uh, it is speculated that that storage in the volcanic rock of the Cascades would remain relatively stable, whether it again comes from snowpack or rainfall, and you'll end up with a consistent amount of water that goes into the McKenzie system. So that's good. Um, I always like to show this photo though, cause it's a good, um, it's not an indictment of the gravel extraction industry. We have this all through our Valley, certainly in Kaiser and the Salem area, both upstream and down. Uh, Close proximity to our cities. And this is the Willamette flowing through the middle of the screen. Uh, if you can find it, it's a little bit like where's Waldo. And then you've got a couple of big gravel extraction operations. And then you see at the very bottom of that frame, you have the McKenzie River just shy of the Willamette. We're about a quarter mile upstream of where those two rivers meet. And it gives you a, a good sense of kind of humanity's imprint in places along the river. Downstream of that you get to the main stem, which is again relatively shallow in a lot of places, and if you're looking at uh, average spring through fall flows. uh, Dynamic river that then pours down through the Willamette Valley, this is looking southward, so the river is flowing toward us in this image, and you get a sense of the surrounding land use certainly. um, We have a lot of agriculture, we have cities. Uh, we have a few natural areas that you can see there in the foreground is a Snagboat bend unit of the William Finley Refuge. This is a separate piece of the refuge that's right on the Willamette and owned by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and in kind of the two-thirds up the frame there you could get a glimpse of uh, Sam Dawes and Buckskin Mary Landing which is about a 400 acre parcel owned by Oregon State Parks and Recreation. And as you go down the river you'll find here and there you've got these beautiful uh, floodplain forests that still exist. Uh, sometimes they're pretty pristine, other times they have a lot of invasive species, but either way, we'll take them. Uh, these forests can do a lot uh, for the health of the river system. And here's another one on the left. This is Lucky Mute State Natural Area, at least a portion of it. And this is the confluence of the uh, Willamette on the lower left uh, and then the McKenzie flowing into it. So just a, a kind of a, just a shout from uh, the Salem area. Um, now we're jumping down. I apologize I didn't uh, put a photo of Salem. I realized that late. Rookie mistake on my part, but this is just downstream of uh, Salem and Kaiser. This is uh, uh, Wheatland Bar, and this continues kind of an assemblage of public lands that we have along the Willamette that I'll talk more about. Uh, this is owned by the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department. It has a beautiful side channel on the left that flows into another side channel, or I should say another side channel comes off of that and goes about seven miles before it reaches the Willamette. And if we're thinking about habitat uh, in the Mid Valley area, this is as good as it gets. It's, a, it's really nice, uh, whether you're thinking in ecological terms, having that type of diversity of channels and flow and habitat, uh, or if you're thinking of recreating in this area, it just uh, provides a lot. And that's a photo of uh, my kids on paddleboarding Oregon a few years ago when we were going down that channel. I think Ed was probably on that trip because I think he has gone on, I apologize Ed if I'm not remembering this, probably 16 or 17 of the 19 trips we've done so far. Anyway, there's a paddle organ factoid for you. Uh, This is downstream uh, a few miles um, where the Yamhill River meets the Willamette and you see a distinct difference in the uh, amount of sediment in those two water bodies. But again, a slower moving river coming from the coast range, uh, not unlike the Marys uh, or the Long Tom um, or the Tualatin. They typically have a similar aspect. Uh, this is jumping through the Newberg Pool to where the Malala River flows into the main stem Willamette. And then we're at uh, River Mile 26.5 at Willamette Falls. Uh, looks to be kind of fall on an average flow day And then this is what that area can look like uh, when the water is really spiking. It's exceedingly powerful um, and it's an amazing thing to see if you ever have a chance when the water's high. Uh, Then we're down into the city of Portland with Ross Island and then into Portland Harbor where we have the St. John's Bridge and of course this area is a super fun site. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, So throughout that expanse of uh, river You know, you have some predominant themes, uh, similar uh, land uses throughout, whether it's an urban area or agricultural, or if it happens to be uh, uh, one of the public properties, but um, we have some similar themes, definitely. And this is another look at Willamette Riverkeeper, one of our properties um, uh, just downstream of Junction City, which is called Norwood Island. So, you know, we've made a lot of progress over the years, and I think um, there are probably quite a few folks who are somewhat acquainted with the improvement that occurred with the river in the late 60s and early 70s. There was a significant improvement in water quality, a lot of public attention about the, the solid water quality decades before that time. And then finally, we had a variety of factors that came together that helped uh, make significant change. And I think uh, to a person, for anybody who's familiar with the Willamette, we could all admit that things did get a lot better uh, by that time and we're on a much better trajectory. Um, a lot of that was frankly attributed to both industrial discharges, making some improvements on what was allowed into the river and similarly with municipal discharges. So from our wastewater treatment plants, um, there were some basic but significant improvements. Um, but even in uh, you know, the, the 2021 now, we have some significant issues that continue to plague us. Um, We have a highly degraded uh, Superfund site in the Portland area. Uh, We have ongoing Clean Water Act violations. We have habitat that has been significantly degraded, and that hasn't been talked about enough over the years, the impact of that change in habitat. Uh, We have invasive species that impact the health of the river's ecology. Uh, We have very poor fish passage at the dams on the Willamette's tributaries. Uh, We have a lot of trash and debris, which has been a growing problem over the last few years uh, due to a variety of factors. And those are just some of the things that kind of jump to the fore when we think about what needs to be done to improve uh, water quality and habitat. So I'll touch on a couple of these. Invasive species, whether they are uh, terrestrial, as this plant is, this is known as teasel. Uh, You might recognize it. uh, You'll see it sometimes on roadsides um ditches that sort of thing Um, once this plant gets going it is really hard to stop and we're seeing more and more teasel on our public lands along the Willamette um because the Willamette isn't such a populous river basin with a lot of different activities around it when the water rises you have a good chance that those seeds are going to be spread around and if you know you're if you remember our last flood event which was April of 2019 Uh, was very odd because it was late in the year, the trees were already flowering out and we had this really big flood, especially between uh, uh, Eugene and the Mid Valley. Those are those events that have every opportunity to spread uh, the seeds of a plant like this. Um, Ludwigia, we'll touch more on that. Uh, If you've walked over to Minnow Brown Park uh, last summer, you would have seen some uh, work going on there, but this is a weed that is literally covering every backwater and riverside area uh, from the mid valley down. Uh, It's also known as water primrose. It's highly invasive. Um, There are other aquatic invasive plants, but this is a newer issue to the Willamette and to a lot of areas in the U.S. West. And folks are really trying to work together to figure out how to grapple with um, how you get rid of this because it does have some dire consequences for water quality, habitat. It relates to a variety of native species. And then what do we prioritize in terms of what, are we, what areas we address first. Um, this is an area called Black Dog Landing, which is just a few miles downstream of Albany. And this is one example of Ludwigia or Ludwigia um, infiltrating those, those backwater areas. They love it. And of course, the consequence of that is beautiful Wapato, uh, this wild native plant that has been ar- around the Willamette for thousands of years. Uh, it thrives in similar habitat to Ludwigia but we're finding that at times these areas get uh, completely overcome by that invasive plant. So it's very unfortunate. And this was taken, I believe at Five Island, which is about 15 miles downstream of Salem on a backwater, just gorgeous area full of Lopitil. Um, I mentioned simplified habitat. Uh, many areas of the river, we have separated those former floodplain areas that were full of floodplain forests and backwaters and wetland areas from the river. Uh, It's become agricultural uh, areas um, for the last 150 years. We've had a lot of transformation, uh, certainly since the uh, Kalapuyan peoples were spread throughout the valley living before any white people arrived here. And we've seen that transformation uh, since that time to where we oftentimes have farms going right up to the river's edge both simplifying habitat and also with some water quality impacts as well. Um, those areas of the river that are most lively on outside bins and where the water runs fast and wants to push up into the floodplain, uh, for those of you who've spent any time on the river, you've seen riprap, rock like this or other structures that were um, constructed to try to keep those areas at bay, uh, meaning keep the river at bay from spreading into those areas. I mentioned fish, fish passage for anadromous fish Uh, specifically looking at spring Chinook and uh, winter steelhead. Both of those are listed as threatened on the endangered species list. And one of many factors, but probably the most important, is the lack of fish passage at these dams. Um, And when I say lack, that's a little harsh. There's very poor fish passage at these dams so that those fish that are coming back up to spawn have a really hard time getting upstream. They're trucked around these dams and reservoirs. Uh, mortality increases, and then when they're juveniles, how do we get them downstream of these projects? And that's a really big quandary um, that a lot of folks are trying to deal with. And we have some very good examples in the San Am system and and elsewhere. Um, Even in recent times, last few years, we've had some significant discharge points. This was at a a mill in the city of Halsey that um, it's not the city of Halsey's mill, but it's uh, Cascade Pulp. And uh, they had a discharge at that site that was just egregious. And that's a lot of suspended solids that were uh, in the river which was completely against their Clean Water Act permit. And uh, Willamette Riverkeeper took action on that and filed a lawsuit and got them to fix that problem. Uh, so those, those things still occur. And I think we'd all be surprised with as advanced as we are technologically these days, all the options that we have, uh, typically there's some common themes when we see violations that occur on a regular basis. Uh, Then we have the Portland Harbor Superfund site that is about 11 mile stretch of contaminated waterway. We have a lot of uh, individual nodes of river sediment in here. If you can imagine a map of this uh, all the way down the river, you have different concentrated areas of contaminated sediment that either has to be removed or uh, covered up with a cap. Then, of course, uh, one that is close to all of us who live in cities along the Willamette, uh, we have a big problem with trash and debris. Um, I'll talk more about that but there is definitely a need to do more in regard to that overall issue. Um, So our work, again, we're a nonprofit, uh, been around for 25 years this year. Uh, We utilize science, education, and advocacy to help create a healthier river for people and wildlife. Um, We, as I mentioned, work to enforce the Clean Water Act. We restore habitat. Uh, We get a lot of folks on the river each and every year, whether it's through an educational program or a hands-on service project, which I'll talk more about. Um, We work on the cleanup of the Portland Harbor uh, Superfund site, uh, from kind of an advocacy perspective with the EPA and the Oregon DEQ. Uh, We work to reduce toxic pollutants in a variety of ways, which is still a big problem in the Willamette system. Uh, We work to clean up those trash and dump sites, uh, but we also do things that are on the recreational side. We try to get a lot of folks out there to connect with the river. Uh, one of those uh, ways we do that. One of the ways we do that is through the Willamette Water Trail, where we've partnered with Oregon State Parks, the City of Salem, uh, Marion County, Lane County, and many others uh, to facilitate better access and better information about what access is available to folks. Um, Willamette Riverkeeper also owns and manages land along the river, and I'll talk a bit more about that. Um, I mentioned the impact of the dams. That's an issue that's close at hand for us, both uh, from an advocacy and education standpoint. Um, We also work to restore and protect those Willamette Greenway properties, uh, which some of you may know that uh, former Governor uh, Bob Straub had a a really uh, key role in establishing that Greenway program when he first proposed it back in 1966, uh, when he was running against Tom McCall. Um, And it would be remiss if I didn't mention freshwater mussels, and I'll talk a little bit more about those. We uh, have done some uh, research that's never been done on the Willamette and in the Willamette system ever before to try to elevate and better understand those species. Um, So here's just a few images of uh, some of our work. This is um, working to decrease uh, those teasel plants you've seen. uh, You saw that earlier image of it. Um, It's a tough species to eradicate, but oftentimes you have to get in and kind of free up those uh, native trees and shrubs that are just trying to make their way and and compete against those really aggressive uh, teasel plants. There's an image of a swath that was cut uh, in a a big area of teasel, and it's a a tough one. We've got this at uh, one of our properties, uh, but there are also at many others. Um, We work uh, in kind of spearheading the effort with our partners to deal with these aquatic invasive plants. Um, There's the Willamette Aquatic Invasives Network, uh, which the city of Salem is a part of. Uh, Willamette Riverkeeper coordinates that work, but it's a true partnership trying to really figure out um, how do we get at this stuff before it its spread is so ubiquitous that really nothing can be done and that 's a larger question about a lot of invasive species. Where do we direct our funds and time uh, to address those, and where do we have the best chance of eradicating them uh, before they're basically a, a permanent fixture that 's very widespread? Um, you might, as I mentioned, remember last summer um, Willamette Riverkeeper managed a project in Willamette Slough at Minto Brown Park where Ludwigia had really taken hold. Um, We used a a great firm called IRM that has a specialty of getting in to these backwater areas and treating these uh, invasive plants and really with a pretty high success rate. Uh, We'll be going back this summer uh, to do more work. That was pre-treatment. Um, And this summer we expect to see much less of this plant spreading throughout that slough. Um, Again, they'll treat it probably in July when the water is nice and low and uh, access is still good. And then we also work to inform folks about what was going on. What is the problem? Uh, You know, why should we care about this plant? And just a couple of things, it does have a detrimental impact on water quality in these areas. And it also, again, uh, takes up space where some of those native plants like wapato might have a chance to thrive. If you get just a small sprig of this Ludwigia, you know, is, you know this, this long, two or three inches, and that gets to floating down the river, it can infect an area uh, very soon after, once it gets uh, into a backwater or on the riverside, it is really good at spreading. So that's the, the larger point with this. So it's best to tackle it now. Um, We facilitate uh, work parties at a variety of sites, whether it's an Oregon State Parks or Department of State Lands site or one of our own properties. Uh, People love to get their hands on uh, some of these invasive plants and it uh, can really provide an opportunity for someone to go out and make a visible difference uh, in a single day event or an overnight trip, which we sometimes facilitate. Um, One of those, we've had some great work parties at Willamette Mission State Park which reflects a really nice partnership with Willamette Riverkeeper and the Oregon State Parks and Recreation Department. As most of you hopefully know, just downstream you have this vast park that's about 1,200 acres um, that has a whole variety of just beautiful habitat, uh, great for looking at migratory songbirds. Uh, The backwater area there is uh, gorgeous, but this is another site that has had Ludwigia, and we've had a a really uh, significant project to eradicate that at both Mission Lake and in the uh, Windsor Slough which is just upstream of, of the property and that work will continue. We've got about another three to four years on this project. And what you see there in the foreground are a bunch of um, blackberry bushes that have been uh, killed basically and they, they're, uh, they've turned color and that's before they were Uh, ground up the big machine that goes out there and removes it and grinds all that material up before it was planted with uh uh, native plants in the floodplain there but again this is representative work that gets uh work parties involved we have contractors out there working all of this in concert with the uh, management of that park and um it represents a i think a real win for the river uh even though it's a very long and ongoing project our River Discovery Program works to get folks out along the Willamette, whether whether you're in Salem and Kaiser or somewhere upstream or down, there's a lot of great opportunities to get out there. Uh, back in 2003, uh, a group of us that were actually centered in Salem uh, worked to design the first map for a 35 mile stretch of river from Independence down to Newburgh. And um, that map was a real success. So the next, uh, I think it was two years after we did the first half of the river, roughly from Eugene down to Buena Vista. And then the second map there on the right we did, um, and we've distributed thousands of those over the years. And now we're in the process of updating that and making one map, which will be available in the spring of 2022. So um, we just got funded uh, for that project, but there's a whole host of just beautiful public properties like Harkins Lake here, which is upstream of Corvallis a few miles. Uh, Again, another big greenway site, Uh, Trip Island, which is downstream of Corvallis, about uh, halfway between Corvallis and Albany. Another Oregon State Park site with a beautiful side channel. And most of these are rustic camping. There's not a lot of amenities. You might have a sign, a fire ring, a picnic table if you're lucky, Uh, but typically that's about it. And it's all based on Leave No Trace camping. Um, There's a water trail website that people can explore that is updated on a fairly regular basis. Uh, We do the best we can to uh, keep things updated, but it allows you to search different sites uh, to look at suggested itinerary um, on the river and um, just provide you with uh, some options that you may not know about. Um, And as I mentioned before, the uh, Willamette Greenway is the foundation of the Willamette Water Trail and provides both a lot of valuable habitat and uh, valuable recreational space along the river. And it's, to a lot of folks, uh, it's somewhat of an unknown entity, uh, but it's been really important in providing these public spaces for people to go and enjoy. Um, with Oregon State Parks on the main stem, they own about 10,000 acres. And then when you add the different uh, public properties that might be, uh, county parks or city parks and then properties that a land trust might own or a river Riverkeeper might own you get up to around the 15,000 acre mark so again a lot of great opportunity there and if you think back to the time in the late 60s when we had uh in early 70s when we had things like the bottle bill in Oregon and the beach bill providing public access Uh, what Bob Straub proposed in his campaign against McCall in July of uh, 1966 was really visionary. Um, And it it was an original vision to have a continuous series of public properties all the way along the river. That meant continuous. Uh, We didn't get to that point, but even so we've gone in just the last 15 years from people not even wanting to talk about or use the word Greenway or the term Greenway, Uh, to the point now where Oregon State Parks and others have really embraced it. They're putting new energy into it and in our view that'll lead to better public access and maybe more publicly accessible lands along the Willamette over the next few years. Um, Part of this is engaging with uh, local landowners. This is uh, Wigrich Farm uh, just upstream of independence. We've known uh, those folks for probably 17 years now. They've let us use their farm for Paddle Oregon um, over that time, and they established a water trail campsite on their property. So this, this concept of public access is one that is now uh, being embraced by a wider community of folks, and we're seeing more and more opportunities to access the river because of it. Um, and another thing that we try to do to get folks out there is regular trips on the river that our organization will facilitate, both with canoes and kayaks, uh, sometimes uh, big power boats like this one, depending on where we're going and what the season is, but I think getting folks to the river, whether it's a, a hike in an area that's adjacent to the river or a boat trip or paddle trip, that's been really essential to people uh, kind of having that aha moment I, to a person almost. Uh, when people experience the river for the first time or get that close up perspective, they typically come away from it just having a different sensibility about what it is and what's important and what's, what it really feels like, what it smells like, uh, what the wildlife, um, are like, and, and that's been really valuable for us over the years. Uh, this happens to be a trip in Portland Harbor in the winter, but uh, if folks are game, we'll try to get them out there. And that's the industrial part of the river. And You see a line of about 30 canoes and kayaks there along the beach. Um, but again, affording those opportunities and making it safe, uh, I think is central to everybody embracing this river as the years go by. Uh, here we are at Wallace Marine Park on one of our paddle Oregon trips. We always... Uh, We'll put in at Wallace, we'll take out at Wallace, we'll make a a lunch stop at Wallace Marine Park. Uh, But the areas around Salem and Kaiser that provide that public access are really pretty fantastic. Uh, You look at Kaiser Rapids Park, you look at Spong's Landing, you look at Lincoln Access, which is on the uh, Marion County side of the river, uh, or sorry, the Polk County side of the river, the west side. Um, And then the areas above um, Kaiser and Salem where you have that vast new... Um, natural area called the gale actorman Natural Area. It's right there at the Yola Bend, where the river makes that tight turn to parallel uh, Highway uh, 22. It's a really significant natural area that doesn't have a lot of public access yet, but it's, it's gonna get there over time. And then as you move upstream from there toward independence, there's other opportunities as well. Um, Something else we do not to promote our events too much with this talk, but uh, Paddle Oregon, as I mentioned, will come back in August of 2022. We're hoping to have a great time. Uh, That'll signify hopefully uh, 20 trips in 21 years instead of 20 trips in 19 years. So um, with that being said, for those who are interested, we're gonna be advertising uh, later this month, um, two more rustic smaller trips, uh, akin to a trip we did a couple of years ago called the Pinot Paddle. Uh, where we had a wonderful overnight at Grand Island Access just a few few miles downstream of Salem and uh, we're going to try to do two events one in July one in August smaller numbers uh, not as fancy if you will but we'll still provide catered food and some good educational opportunities and for an overnight trip on the weekend uh, we're also going to try to have a lot of fun which is really the point as Ed mentioned Uh, what's the point of all this if we're not having some fun in the process right there's an image of a typical beach during our Paddle Oregon trip. We get a lot of folks out. Uh, the average year is probably 125 paddlers. We've had, we've had it everywhere from 90 to 200, depending on the year. Uh, certainly the solar eclipse year was a, was a big one. Um, here's just another look at some of these beautiful backwater areas. This is um, across from uh, downtown Corvallis. It's the old East channel of the Willamette that they call it now, but it actually used to be the main stem of the river. Uh, And those kayaks and canoes are coming out of that channel after a little exploration. So that's, again, just trying to get folks out there looking at different areas. Um, One of the other things uh, that is still important is the Portland Harbor Superfund cleanup. Um, We have a highly contaminated area there, as I mentioned, a lot of contaminated sediment. Um, The record of decision, which is basically the cleanup plan for that, was issued at the very end of the Obama administration And now we are getting to the point where within the next 18 months, we're actually gonna see sediment removed from that river because what's been happening in those intervening years are agreements with the US EPA by individual companies or collections of companies to do work in the areas that they are responsible for. And within those smaller sections of the river, they develop a cleanup plan. That all has to be in concert with the Oregon DEQ and the US EPA primarily. And then they will be able to get in the water Uh, during that work window, as they call it. So that's when the water is lowest, typically July through September, um, and and conduct that work. And that work will take several years to complete, but we're getting to the point where we're gonna see actual action, which is uh, pretty refreshing. And I started working on that project uh, my first year here at Willamette Riverkeeper uh, in in December of, uh, uh, actually it was uh, June of 2000. And now we're finally getting to the point where we will have Fish advisory signs like this be hopefully a thing of the past um, after this site is cleaned up. It'll take a few years, but over time you will not see these fish advisories for contaminated fish. And that'll be a big win for this area. Um, And oftentimes it's come down to the question of, you know, where do we invest funds? Where do we decide uh, something is clean enough versus the amount of resources that have to go into it? And one distinction I would make about Superfund sites is that they are polluter pays. So you're not having the government coming in and spending tens of millions of dollars to clean up a site. If the EPA has to clean up a site they will take that entity to court and seek to extract the money but typically this is a polluter pays process for the time that the US EPA has to spend on this project um, they will get reimbursed by the people who are responsible for the pollution or hold the liability. So it's a complicated process but uh, Rest assured, most of this is paid for by those private entities who are uh, legally liable for it. And again, at the end of the day, what a public trust uh, right that all of us should have to be able to go and legally catch a fish that does not have a bunch of contamination in it or present long-term health risks if you consume those fish. And here's a, a white sturgeon at the confluence of the Lambeth in the Columbia. And this gentleman was nice enough to let us take a picture of his catch. Uh, but it's fish like these that you should be able to catch and harvest um, and not worry about contamination. Um, Finally we do a lot of trash cleanups and we're going to be investing more in the Salem and Kaiser area. Uh, We have a new staffer on board who is going to be conducting our uh, Trashy Tuesdays on Salem and Kaiser. This happens to be a shot of uh, a quick cleanup we did in the Portland area as the water was rising a couple years ago. But as you all know, this is a very tricky issue. It relates to houseless folks. It relates to a certain amount of negligence by a whole bunch of people for material ending up next to our river. Uh, and then we have to go in and clean it up. So there's a before and after shot. Uh, we have a great many of that type of photo. Um, obviously it's a complicated issue. There's a variety of approaches to it. Um, I would just say we all have to do better. We've got to figure this out. This is it's. It's disgusting. It hurts the environment. It hurts water quality. Um, And honestly, the fact that people are out here living in these conditions for whatever reason, uh, I think it hurts all of us, frankly. Um, So we conduct a whole bunch of cleanup events. We do Trashy Tuesdays and Thursdays. That was just originally supposed to be kind of a catchy name for these cleanup events. Um, Obviously the issue is so big that we couldn't just have it beyond one day. Uh, We do weekend cleanups, we do the Tuesday and Thursday events, sometimes in the morning or around the lunchtime hour, Uh, but we try to get folks out there. We also do the Great Willamette cleanup, uh, which last year, because of COVID, instead of doing just one day, we broke that up into a whole bunch of separate cleanup events throughout the Willamette Valley. Uh, We had some in Salem and Kaiser and uh, Independence and downstream and up, and it actually worked a lot better and it was less stressful for us as organizers and it gave a little a bunch more choices for people to get out there so we're going to be replicating that in 2021 and having a bunch of events uh if you're interested in helping out with that in your area uh, you could contact us and um we'll we'll set something up uh we also do clean water act enforcement i'll be mindful of our time here i'm one one minute over but uh, Even in 2021, and and for many years we've had real issues, this was an area that was a a wastewater pit for a slaughterhouse uh, where blood waste, sorry to be so blunt, uh, was leaking out of this site. And this went into Fern Ridge Reservoir. Uh, We had to go take legal action against this entity. Uh, They cleaned up. But that's just one of many examples, even in 2021, where you have things go awry, where you have people who are maybe not paying as much attention as they should, or not making the proper investments in their facilities to make sure that whatever they are seeking to treat as wastewater uh, meets the letter of the law and uh, meets the public trust doctrine. Um, As I mentioned, uh, we are acquiring property, uh, not voraciously, but right now we have three really nice properties. And uh, we're working on another, just a a few miles downstream of Salem and Kaiser. Uh, It'll be a relatively modest natural area. It will afford opportunities for people to paddle in, uh, walk on a trail, do some birding, uh, listen to the relative quiet of the area and then get back on their way. Um, So we're really excited about that. You know, Willamette Riverkeeper is not a land trust, um, but we believe we have a role in acquiring land on the Willamette because there's a lot of gaps. Uh, We have a strict policy as to, uh, what we acquire and then what we would like to turn it into in terms of creating management plans over time um, and like any land management entity would tell you whether it's a city or a state or a land trust you know it's a big job and and we're kind of learning our way into it but so far um, I feel like we've done a pretty good job and volunteers have been key to our efforts and have really helped to make a big difference in terms of stewarding these sites and finally I think this actually this is actually finally uh, muscle research a lot of you may not know but we have a, a variety of species of mussels in the Melanchise system. One of those, and you see that kind of dark oval form there on the left of center, those are Margaritifera falcata. They are western pearl shell mussels, and they filter water. They actually clean it. Uh, they feed from it, and they can live to be over 100 years old in the Willamette river if the water quality conditions are right. Uh, we also have um, Uh, species or really a genus of mussels uh, that are anodota, they're known as floater mussels. They live in kind of those backwater areas and I would guess that we have some in a lot of the sloughs, whether you're looking at uh, uh, the Willamette slough there or others, uh, they like that siltier type habitat. They can live be 20 to 30 years old. And then we have the uh, western ridge mussel, uh, which we believe to be imperiled in the state of Oregon and actually uh, nationwide. Um, in fact, there's a petition right now to, to list those as an endangered species, but they can be found in the Willamette. And Willamette Riverkeeper staff and volunteers have found two of the three live mussels from the main stem of the Willamette over the past three years. So it's been really uh, interesting to get into these. And this provides another volunteer opportunity for folks who are interested in studying these with us. We'll be doing our regular studies starting up again next summer. Uh, just amazing animals. When you see those black shells, you see them occasionally, uh, they get swept away or they get preyed upon. Uh, but that one right there is, uh, you know, if I stretch out my hand like that, that's how big that thing is. They have a limited ability to move in the substrate, but they're just pretty amazing animals. Um, so that's my uh, quick effort to kind of go through a lot of issues. I'm gonna part with some uh, just nice calming slides here. There's just so much beauty along the river, whether you're walking around, it's a uh, minto brown or, enjoying some other uh, greenway side along the river. Uh, we have some Douglas Spirea there in the foreground, which is a wonderful wild native plant that can be found. And the beautiful uh, black cottonwoods and all along that floodplain forest. Uh, all the nice parks and opportunities that we have to get on and off the river in our different cities and towns. Uh, then just the beautiful quiet backwaters where you hear the rustle of the wind. Um, the other day we were uh, lucky to be on the river between Kaiser and uh, Wheatland. And uh, other than a strong wind, um, it was just gorgeous as everything is just starting to leaf out. Uh, so there's really a lot to see. Uh, so what, if you have an interest in uh, what we're doing, you can become a member first and foremost. We're a nonprofit supported by membership, uh, grants and sponsorships for different events. And we have a lot of ways to plug uh, people and companies in that way, especially for our cleanup events makes, makes a great way. Uh, if you have some time to participate in our and Tuesday and Thursday events, uh, similarly with stewardship of restoration properties, uh, we also steward those water uh, trail sites with Oregon State Parks and the Department of State Lands. Uh, so feel free to shoot us an email or get on our website. Um, and then I've got my email there if you have any questions after this uh, presentation. And uh, we love to communicate with folks. We get questions all the time. And that is all I have. terms
0: of slides anyway, and looking forward to answering any questions you may have. Thank you, Travis. And we'll now open it up to questions. So a quick review before we get started. Um, All registered attendees logged in on a computer, iPad device or other um, video device, have a raise hand icon or a button on your screen. If you have a question to ask of Travis, please click on the button to raise your hand. People will be called on. Um, As time permits, and hopefully in the order you raise your hand, your microphone will be activated when called on, but you must click your own microphone icon on your screen to be heard. You may also write a question using the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. If you are joining us by telephone, please press star nine to raise and lower your hand and star six to mute and unmute your phone. So um, with that, we'll get started on questions. And I have, um, I'm going to start out with one. Um, Travis, can you speak a little bit to um, that Willamette Valley is certainly an agricultural valley, and the um, impact of fertilizers, if any, on the Willamette and what you're seeing? Are there changes being made in the use of fertilizers? Um, Just speak a little bit to the fertilizer impact on on the river.
2: Yeah, you bet. Um, you know, I think it's easy to see that there there are impacts. Um, whether you're looking at fertilizers or the different products that are used in, in terms of uh, pesticides, which are and fungicides, that sort of sort of thing. You know, if you think about it, most of those fields have field tile systems underneath them, so there are pipes that convey water either to nearby ditches, uh, to, to creeks, and then sometimes the Willamette main stem directly. And it's something that isn't talked enough about, but um, there is a a relatively straightforward way material can get to our waterways. That's not to say that a lot of our agricultural producers aren't doing a good job in some areas of trying to capture that material. But oftentimes you could literally see water even in the summer months, because of course we have irrigation water being pulled from the Willamette which is then sprayed on those fields and then can make its way back in at a a lower volume. Um, But I think if we all think about changing climatic conditions, which, you know, we can all visibly see are real, increased population in the Willamette Valley, uh, which relates to more water use, in the summer months, if you have lower flows, if you have higher levels of phosphorus, um, other nutrients in the water, you're going to help lower those dissolved oxygen levels which can be very problematic. You in theory can assist those aquatic plants like Ludwigia uh, to get going Um, and that could kind of have a cascading effect to where you might have more blue-green algae in summer months on the main stem river which has been a problem in our reservoirs and it's been a problem in the Portland area where the river is wider and much more lake-like. So I think moving forward as people continue to try to grapple and work with different elements of the agricultural community, and they're not all the same. It's not uh, one type of entity that's working along the river, Um, but the more we can do to reducing the use of those types of compounds. um, And then if you're thinking about pesticides, even home use chemicals like ant killers that we see making their way to the river that people commonly use. The problem with some of those is that they're, not aquatic to fish, supposedly, according to their labeling, but they're acutely aquatic to uh, native amphibians. And that's stuff that you can go buy on your end cap at whatever your hardware store or garden store of choice is. And I think we have to be increasingly knowledgeable about those home use products we use as well. So sorry, that was a different answer to a different question. Uh, But I think they're very much related.
0: Thank you for that. And now we've got a question from Jan and Les Margosian. Is it safe to swim in the Willamette in the Salem area these days?
2: Yes, Um, I think if you look at the human health parameters and the criteria around swimming in the river, uh, generally it's safe unless there is some known uh, discharge or accident that gets sewage into the water. Um, You know, for recreation, whether you're swimming or paddling, unless you ingest a lot of water um, as you're doing your recreation, I know that, you know, swimming, you might have times where that can happen, but I would say generally speaking, safe for recreation. Um, But that being said, you know, today if we were to take a sample of the water in Salem, in Kaiser, in Independence, you will find a whole host of compounds at the minimum levels so parts per billion that are in that water. And I think, again, it's important for all of us to understand that we never evaluate those compounds together cumulatively, their impact on aquatic health or human health. Um, And that's something I think we need to get toward a much better understanding of how all those things work together potentially. That's not to say uh, that you should be fearful getting in the water. I mean, I would swim in your area, no problem. Um, Areas that I tend to shy away from, or maybe adjacent to where you have a, a dump site or a known area where there's a lot of waste, that sort of thing in the near shore area. But if you're upstream, of sites like that um, or downstream, you know, enough distance, you're probably
0: okay. Thank you. And now from Victor Dodier, or I I hope I uh, pronounced that correctly. How are we doing on zebra mussels? And are there other invasive critters that we should be aware of?
2: Yeah, I mean, other than the the plants I've talked about, uh, and I just touched on a few of those, so that's an ongoing battle. Zebra mussels, people people are on the lookout for them. They have not reached the Willamette yet, um, but hopefully they won't. And that is why there's been a lot of emphasis on clean, drain, dry with powerboats, with paddlecraft. If you go to another state uh, or even another part of our state and you... Do a poor job of draining your craft and cleaning it off when you're done using it in that area, you can easily transport those organisms to another water body and that's a big deal. That's how the spread typically occurs. Uh, so the, the state of Oregon has invested time in that. Uh, the Willamette Aquatic Invasives Network group that I mentioned earlier is going to be devoting more time to that clean drain dry principle. Uh, so even if I'm going canoeing and I go from Independence down to San Salvador, which is kind of a little, a few miles downstream of Wheatland. Um, I want to take a good look at my craft and make sure that I'm not transporting any aquatic organism from one site to another, even within a basin. It's more common if you're going from a different river basin uh, to another one. But you know, even just being careful on the everyday use of your craft is important. I hope I answered your uh,
0: question adequately. I think so, but if not, maybe he'll ask a follow-up. So, and the next question from Lucy Hitchcock, what's a good way to eliminate teasel?
2: Uh, You know, teasel is tough. Um, I I try to steer clear of herbicides if if we can, or we do. Um, Sometimes it's very tough. I have found teasel to be very, very resilient. Even So they start as a rosette, a little flat green, leafy looking thing about the size of a dandelion rosette if you will that those first greens that come out they're closer to the ground they're a little tougher um you could spray those with an herbicide and you'll come back a week later it'll turn brown and, and black and then you'll still get a little shoot coming out of it um we have tried to to burn them and uh that has been a complete waste of time so what i've found is that we cut them uh just so we can, if there's an area that's overrun within, you could cut the tall stalks, and then you could get in with a long shovel and just pop those roots out. And that's time consuming, but it has been the best way, especially um, we have just uh, thousands and thousands of those plants out in Norwood Island. And there's an area that we concentrated on a few years ago. We've been replicating that effort. It's about a hundred, sorry, it's probably a one acre area. And we focused on just simply digging out those roots and I tell you, it's almost completely free of teasel. It takes time, but if you have some of that, you go in there, create access for yourself by cutting the stalks and then pop those, those root systems out and they will go. Or if you just simply see that, that rosette coming up, get that rosette. They're distinctive, they're easy to spot. Just look at the bottom of the plant, you'll see what it looks like, um, but very pernicious. And um, it'll it, once you start working on them, you start to see them everywhere, kind of like all the invasive plants. <laughs>
0: Okay, and one last question um, for those people who are interested in taking part in Trashy Tuesdays or um, some other effort: Is it necessary to have a craft to take on the river, or do you just congregate someplace and then we, you go to where you need to go? You don't have to worry about having a, a craft to go on the water.
2: Yeah, it really depends on uh, which cleanup it is. We will be doing. We will be doing both in the Salem and Kaiser area. So um, there are sites that really make sense to just access them from land because climbing up from a canoe or kayak doesn't make much much sense. Um, So we'll have that going on in concert with the city of Salem. Uh, You know, with all these cleanups, you have to not only get folks out there to remove the material and do it safely on a number of levels, but then figure out what we do with that waste. And that's where we typically partner with the municipality. Um, But we also, for some of the trips, we provide canoes or we provide rafts. So you can get in one of our boats. Um, if you know how to paddle a little bit, it doesn't take a great level of expertise to get out there and fill your boat with material. Uh, but we do both and Willamette Riverkeeper has a good quiver of canoes or a small fleet. Um, and we're able to get those all around the valley.
0: Okay, and with that, I think our time is up. So Travis, thank you so much for taking on take a, taking us on this deep dive into the Willamette River that. We often forget about it as we cross it or walk beside it. We forget what's in it and around it. So thank you very much for the presentation and the work Willamette River Keepers does for our river. So thank you for the invite. It's much appreciated. We're we're delighted to
2: have a chance to go out and enjoy the sunny weekend. It's amazing.
0: There you go. So um,
2: the water is very cold still, so be careful.
0: Yeah, warm temperatures outside, very cold water. So uh, for those in the audience and with friends, remember that we've got two more programs this year next up on s- April 30th.
2: This audio is made with Audio Toolkit for Windows Store. Downloaded for free now.